This podcast is supported by JBS International Incorporated through a grant award from the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, with 0% finance with non-governmental sources. The contents are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement, by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. For more information, please visit hrsa.gov. Welcome into another episode of Rural Roads, the Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rebolt with JBS International. Before we jump to today's episode, a few Hardcore TA reminders. Have you visited the Hardcore TA portal recently? Hopefully, that answer is yes, because it is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest and greatest Hardcore resources, info, and other opportunities. From the portal, you can dive into various toolkits or templates, engage with different learning modules on the LMS, visit our core corner and read past newsletters, rewatch past webinars, you get the idea. Also, be sure to connect with our Courtier on social media. You can find us on Facebook, X, and Instagram. And now, let's get to today's episode. Welcome in to another episode of Rural Roads, the Arcore podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rabel, and today we are joined by GBS technical expert lead, Jordan Brandt. Thanks so much for joining, Jordan. Thanks for having me, Tim. I didn't realize how difficult that'd be, say, say, joining Jordan right together. So say it three times fast. Yeah. 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 It'll get a little mushy. I feel like we've had you on the podcast before, but I don't actually think so. No, this is the first time for me. Yeah. We just talk quite a bit. So long overdue because we've had this is installation of our new kind of mini series on get to know your tells where we're having different technical expert leads on from JBS and having a little discussion so folks that are tuning in can get to know them a little bit better than they might on their grantee calls. So everything from maybe where you grew up and different kind of career path and things like that. So we appreciate you you joining. I was wondering if you could start because you've lived a lot of places, right? I have. Yeah. Can you catch us up on those? Sure. So for background context, my parents worked for the Department of State when I was growing up as a kid. And so because of their work, we moved every two to three years. And even though I am an American, I did not live in the United States until I was 15. Uh, So I have lived in Zambia, Senegal, Sweden, Israel, Canada, Tajikistan, Vietnam, South Africa, and up and down the eastern seaboard of the United States. It's a lot of continents, a lot of countries. It is. It is. It was hard moving around a lot growing up. I complained a lot, but now I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity. I am. Anytime, kids just think whatever is normal. And then you grow up and you're like, whoa, this was different. This was very special. Yeah. I went on um, a trip over the summer with a, a few like fellow sober folks from here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And one of them had never been on a plane and never left the state. And it, mm-hmm. it's a lot rare for the, and this isn't even necessarily rural. It's not far from it, but yeah, it's an incredible the kind of different experiences folks had. A lot of folks will stay in the town their whole life and then you you all over the world quite Yeah, literally. absolutely. But yeah. I will admit I've always been envious of the folks who've grown up in a community and really have those 
strong roots going over to someone's um, house where they still have a childhood bedroom that has stuff from elementary school. I never had that. But I think it's one of the things that I love about the rural communities that we work with on our core is a lot of them have really strong community ties and there's something really special in that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Connections and relationships that have developed for quite some time. Do you feel like there are any particular like perspective or skills or things like that that you've obtained or developed because of all that that moving around? Yeah, that's a good question. Because I've moved around so much, I'm very used to being the outsider in a given situation. And so I think it it helps because it's given me the chance to see how different communities and cultures are and how what works in one place no matter how great it is, might not work well in another spot. And I think that when it's come to the professional side of things, that's always really important to take into consideration and to not take anything for for granted. Really ask questions. And there are those little differences that really matter from community to community. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Now, I don't know. I would be very surprised if the answer was JBS Technical Expert Lead, but did you have anything you wanted to be like career-wise when you were growing up, and particularly when you were like a kid? Was there anything that was that stood out? Yeah, it definitely was not JBS Technical Expert Lead. I'm not sure I even knew that that existed. I went through lots of of phases when Legally Blonde came out. I thought being a lawyer would be really cool. I was an equestrian most of my life and rode horses. So having a farm at some point was always a dream. Still is a dream. Maybe one day. But yeah, I was a sickle kid. I think it changed week to week. And even going into college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So was really lucky when I found this field because it was something that kind of ignited all of my passions and let me channel into yeah. something. Yeah. Which I was trying to think of my own answer for that. I'm pretty sure it was like maybe be a baseball player or something like that. But it definitely changed. I remember I do remember going into college, I my initial major was like international business. Oh, I, I was a freshman. I was like, I I can make a bunch of money and travel the world. It, that'll be fun. Right. Changed a little bit and uh very happy to not be traveling the world nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you settle on as your major in the end? Sport and management. I think it was maybe sport event and hospitality management. There's like different tracks. So it was in the sports business track. And yeah, it was honestly, it was completely, I had no doubt in my mind that's what I was going to do. And I actually, yeah, it was like so much effort was put into it that I couldn't imagine a different job. So in DC, I interned like for the Nationals. And the the Washington Wizards and worked for the athletics department at, at George Washington and I was president of the Sports Business Association and was traveling. And yeah, it was. That's all, so cool. Yeah, it was all set up for to make a move. And it was community relations where I like doing the most. So it was like working with the athletes to do impact work in the community. And 
some of them loved doing that and others did not really have a passion for that, which is understandable. They were like athletes at the top of their game. They're zeroed in on whatever their particular sport was. But yeah, it was, there was the summer going into my senior year. I went to my first like collegiate recovery conference and I was already, I got sober in high school and we had a collegiate recovery program and everything at GW. And I remember I came back to that from the conference and I like broke down. I had like a total breakdown because I was like, I, I don't want to do sports. Like I want to do this. And then I just, I switched everything around and got an internship at ONDCP, Office of National Drug Control Policy, and then just kept at it to work in the addiction recovery space. That's amazing. That's why my also epiphany moment was the summer between my junior and senior year of college. I was working for the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration in Vietnam. And SAMHSA was a huge champion of Macedon expansion in Vietnam, largely to reduce the country's um, HIV prevalence. And that was my first kind of exposure to the field. And it was pretty magical. It's funny, though. I shouldn't say that was my first exposure to the field. I'd been doing street-based outreach for years at that point. That's what I was going to ask. What was your, what was the connection or like where did it start, the interest and exposure to the, the work? Yeah, I guess I, I started doing street-based outreach in high school um and it was a really impactful experience i guess now people would call it harm reduction at the time i did not think about it in that context Mm -hmm. um and i would go you know weekly and we would hand out supplies chat with folks The person I worked with was a a case manager who could then make referrals and all of that. Um, But at that point, it was just talking to people. Some of them were people who use drugs, um, but most of them were just kind folks who I looked forward to seeing every week. Um, And it was only once I was working for SAMHSA that I realized, okay, there's a policy focus to do something like that. And that what I decided I wanted to do, um, but really wanted to focus on it at home in the U.S. It's great doing work overseas. It was a really influential experience. The person who was my supervisor, Kevin Mulvey, um, has been an incredible mentor, but I wanted to do it at home. We have so much going on here in our own communities that there's Sadly, uh, a lot of opportunity here. I would love to work my way out of a job, but I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. How did you end up at JBS Part 1? I ended up at JBS Part 1 largely because of Kevin, who I worked for at SAMHSA. I you know, really turned to him for advice as I was looking for jobs. And he was the one that put this type of work on my radar. I don't think I would have even known to really look here. I 
originally wanted to do something that was a little bit more community-based, but coming to JBS was really an opportunity to look at federal, state, and local policy, um, which I was really excited about. So I came to JBS Part 1 seven years ago, eight years ago. Wow. So yeah, it's been a little while now. Yeah. And what happened between part one and part two? Between part one and part two, I decided I wanted to go get a master's. Mm-hmm. It was definitely, it was the right decision, mm-hmm. but the timing was just terrible. I started my master's program September of 2019, and it was supposed to be two years in person. And we all know what happened early 2020, the whole world shut down. And so I spent three of my four semesters virtual, but it meant that I got to work more in grassroots harm reduction, which honestly was maybe, not even maybe, it was a better education than being in, in the classroom. So that was a really incredible opportunity. So I spent a few years working for North Carolina Survivors Union um, before coming back to to JBS. They couldn't keep me away. Yeah. What was the master's in? My master's, it's a public policy degree with a focus in behavioral health policy. Gotcha. It was down in North Carolina? It was actually, no, it was in Massachusetts. It is from Brandeis University. I'm surprised I didn't know that. Maybe I did and just blocked it out. Yeah. So I've just moved up and down all along that that eastern seaboard. Yeah. Yeah. And then GBS part two has been almost 18 months. Yeah. 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 Time is flying, but it has been that long. Yeah. And could you talk a little bit about your role here and how it's been different in, in part two, like the kind of work you're involved in, especially anything other than the kind of typical tell role working with grantees, different things you're. Yeah. yeah. Working with the grantees is definitely the highlight. Sure. Um, I love hearing what's going on in the community, but um, in coming back, I've been really fortunate to um, continue to really keep a focus on people who are most impacted. So right now I also facilitate the Meaningful Inclusion of People Who Use Drugs Advisory Board. Um, And something that really stood out to me while I was in school and working in grassroots harm reduction is I was in this one seminar and every week we were discussing the hot off the presses journal articles, what's new to research. Um, And it was always framed around being very cutting edge And I would then go talk to my colleagues at the harm reduction agency. And they were all like, we could have told you this four years ago Um, because they're on the ground. They're seeing it unfold in in real time. And with the Meaningful Inclusion of People Who Use Drugs Advisory Board, it is our goal to really close that research time gap of It's the people who are using drugs with living experience who really know what's unfolding on the ground. And there's a lot we can and should learn from them. 
if we want to make a difference in the overdose crisis that we're seeing. And it's been a really humbling experience for me, especially as someone that does not have lived experience, because I used to think that if I studied enough, talked to enough people, I would get it. But the more I've worked in this field, the more I realize that there's something really um, special and magical about people with lived and living experience and folks in recovery that I'm just, it's never going to click for me that way. And that's okay. But it just means I need to be part of a team. Yeah. Nicely put. Are there particular areas of work that grantees bring up that you're maybe like most passionate about. For me, when I was working with grantees, if there was anything around work engaging young people or particular kind of like recovery strategies or anything involving like meeting communications, like that kind of stuff. I was like, let's go. Anything similar for you? Yeah. I love talking about stigma, which is but I really believe that people want very similar outcomes for their communities. Everyone wants folks to be healthy, happy, have resources. And we all just have different approaches on how to get that done. And I think especially when it comes to harm reduction and syringe service programs, things like that, that's what I was working in. It, it took time to win people over to help folks understand why it is a benefit to the community. Mm -hmm. uh, and so as challenging as some of those conversations can be at times, I really like them. I like figuring out mm -hmm. why people are taking the approach that they are and how we can hopefully have some open conversations about how to do better by the community. Yeah. How would you respond? I, I heard this said and curious what your response or reaction will be but if someone says it's not stigma it's discrimination in many cases it it is discrimination i think mm -hmm. stigma leads to discrimination when stigma is acted upon that it is discrimination and i think we're from this is my nerdy policy analyst hat coming on but I think we're seeing around the country where discrimination is really playing out, whether it's access to medications for opioid use disorder in jails and written policy from the federal government that has stated that is a denial of rights. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that to me is a perfect example of stigma being acted upon when folks are being denied um, medications that then has a, a policy and legal basis to be addressed. Yeah, that's good perspective. Thanks for sharing that. Um, one more question, and then we're going to go into maybe five minutes of lightning round, non-work-related questions. Yeah. Uh, super fun and random. Uh, do you have a particular fond or impactful R-Core memory, like a favorite memory of something that a moment at the RSV or any, maybe a, a site visitor or two that stood out or anything like that kind of comes to mind is where you just look back on it in an impactful way. Or you're like, wow, this is a really incredible program, anything like that. Oh, that's a good one. It's hard to pick just one. Yeah. yeah. Last 
last March, I was in Vermont with Hank Weiss and Donald McDonald visiting one of Hank's grantees. Mm -hmm. And we facilitated a series of focus groups for them. Um, And there was one focus group that we were in with a bunch of consortium members and they were talking about the resources that they have in the community the resources that they don't have but would like to add and there were a couple terms that were being used that I don't think we're used with any malice, but are are a little out, outdated and we know to be stigmatizing. And without calling anyone out, there was one person in the focus group who started changing their language. And everyone else in the group picked up on it and followed suit. And it was amazing and to watch that shift over the course of an hour. And one of the focus group members turned to the person who had started modeling that language and said, hey, why are you using those words instead? And it was a a very honest question of just, I want to understand here. And they gave the explanation and it just clicked for everyone. And there was this mind meld in that moment of we all want what's best for the community. We're all here working together. Um, And it was really cool to see what I think normally takes more time to have happen in the course of a single hour. Yeah. Um, it's a very cool program uh, based in Montpelier. Um, and they're hoping to set up a crisis response team and some other services that are very cool. That's great. Yeah. It sounds like it was a special experience. Yeah. So that's good. I was trying to think of the same kind of thing. I, I, I We were talking even before this just about, how different in-person experiences can be. And I was thinking at the RSV, I thought it was so neat when maybe Megan or Marsha prompted the the folks who's in DC for the first time or the RMs. I'm like, how neat that all these folks can come together and talk because there's a lot you can get out of your organization, community, state, but this is bigger. Yeah. And I love at the RSV how after breakout sessions or stuff, people go talk to each other who've yeah. made eye contact or asked questions during the sessions. And I miss that. Yeah. That's no one. It almost like it's, it's almost like an underrated part of in-person events. That's almost the, the, the best part, or it's definitely the part you can't replicate virtually. Was those in-between times and the breaks, like this, the, the unscripted, connections and benefits and memories and new resources and idea yeah everything it's it's particularly neat i facilitated the, the recovery meeting to the whole recovery meeting and i thought that was neat because i have a memory of going to a conference a while ago and there was a recovery meeting and it was all folks who like a two-hatter meeting like folks that work in the field but also in recovery and that's not generally widespread a meeting like that. So I, I thought that was cool for folks to be able to take, you know, or at least like tilt their, the, that one hat off and yeah. the recovery one on and share 
their experience with the RSV from a recovery perspective. That was cool too. Yeah, that's great. Well, I hope that's something, I'm sure it is something we'll continue to do every year. Yeah, I was randomly thinking about the other day. I'm like, we should, I hope we have one very early on and maybe towards the end and hear how people you know, share differently if it's like their very first thing ever with, at our, the RSV or something. And then they, yeah. after a few days. Yeah, that's a great idea. And yeah, now it's recorded. So mm-hmm. you got to do it. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking, <laughs> I was literally saying the words. I was like, <laughs> exactly. Cool. Thank you so much for joining Jordan. Slowed it down this time. But yeah, it was great to get to know you better. And for folks that tune in, getting to have that same kind of experience. So we appreciate you making the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. That's it for this week's episode. For folks that did tune in, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time.